How we doing? Good to uh, see you this morning. How was Thanksgiving? Good? All right, three people said it was good. Everybody else still kind of wondering. All right. Uh, we are in uh, the last week uh, of our series uh, entitled Back to the Basics and the last What If uh, Scenario. So, so what if, what would it look like, what if we made the world a, a better place? How does that work? And, and over the years, I've had uh, the privilege of walking with people uh, during uh, probably some of the hardest times of life, and that is just being there during a time of a funeral, and so this past week, I was thinking uh, of my own funeral. And I often ask myself this question, like, what mark have I made? And then I think, what am I going to do to ensure that when I've left this world, uh, will it be a better place? Just in my little corner of, uh, of the world, the people that I have the privilege of, of impacting and have a little bit of influence with. And I really think to make a world a better place should be a goal of the Christ follower, of the Christian. And oftentimes we get uh, accused of being so heavenly minded that we're of uh, no earthly good. But, but I really don't think that's the case at all. I think those that, that have an eternal perspective on life are even more dedicated to making a difference in the here and now. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. In a sense, Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. And this morning, can we think about what life needs to look like for us to make a difference in the here and now? And so short week this week with Thanksgiving, uh, and so I'm using the base, same basic format as we did last week. Uh, so we're going to look at, at the problems we'll face, what good will it do to make a difference with our lives, and then how can we put that into practice, okay? So go ahead and take your note sheets out, you can follow along with me. If you have your Bibles today, turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. And, and so the, the problems that you get... Uh, the opposite of living to make a difference is to live for yourself. And so when you do that, you end up making yourself and everybody else around you miserable. Read this uh, story about these two church elders who, who were getting all fired up and, and having a heated discussion. This is no reflection of our church, by the way, just an illustration. So let's not read too much into it. Um, but they're getting into it and getting all fired up over the sound system. And I thought, why is it people get all fired up over stupid things? But they do, right? And so these guys are going at it. Roy was a retired cameraman from a local news station. And, and when it came to electronic equipment, like he knew his stuff. John, on the other hand, was a musician, and, and he knew the kind of volume and all the things that musicians want to work out. And, and, and Roy asked this. He said, John, why do you insist on doing things your way all the time? 
And John said, Roy, I don't insist on doing it my way. If you want to do it your way, go ahead. You do it your way, and I'll do it God's way. I thought, all righty then. There, there we go. Right? See, when you live for yourself, it's hard on everyone around you. And what ultimately happens, you end up all alone. It's our first filling in on your note sheet today. Living for yourself leads to isolation. And then secondly, it also leads to missed opportunities. It's like if you have terrible time management skills, that can cause you to miss out on some things. But here's my point. When you multiply that over a lifetime, it adds up to much more than missing a good chance here or there. It adds up to a life that never reaches its potential. And so what good will it do if we, if we live to make a difference in, in our world? Well, the flip side is that when you do that, you reach your potential. And you will also experience deeper relationships. Look, we're at point three already. You're welcome. Don't get your hopes up, though. we got a long way to go. Okay? Deuteronomy 34, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. It talks about the death of Moses. And if anyone lived to make a difference, it's Moses, right? I mean, just look at the difference that he made. He compiled and wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, I know what you're thinking right now or what you should be thinking right now. And that is, I just said that Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Yet, I also said that in chapter 34, it talks about his death. And so, how did he pull that one off? Well, let me give you an idea or two. Uh, One is it's likely that either Joshua, Eleazar, or maybe even Samuel or Ezra could have finished writing the book. And still it would be inspired by God. And you'll remember that Moses also led the people out of Israel, uh, out of bondage. And he established God's law and God's covenant with God's people. Like Moses has done a bunch of stuff. And we're going to look at just... Three things that that we can learn from him on how to make a difference with our life, how to put it into practice. And the first one is a rather sobering truth. You will be mourned, but not forever. So listen to what's written about Moses, Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 through 8. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Now, now if Moses had a tombstone, like he didn't have one, but if you're going to put something on, on his tombstone, uh, let me tell you what it probably isn't, right? It's probably not Moses, the prince of Egypt. It's probably not Moses, the murderer of an Egyptian, It's probably not Moses, shepherd in the wilderness, or Moses, spokesman for a nation, or even Moses, the miracle worker. It's not Moses, the prophet. It's probably not Moses, the man who saw a piece of God's glory. It's not Moses who never entered the promised land. If you were going to put something on Moses' tombstone, it's probably Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's how we make a difference in our world. But the harsh reality is, is that life goes on, right? The last part of verse 12, then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. As great as Moses was, 
The days of mourning ended. It was time to move on. God's program didn't end with Moses, nor will it end with any of us, right? The torch is passed and God's work goes on. And even when it's one of the greatest leaders of all time, life moves on. It goes on. And I sometimes think when it comes time to uh, the end, when when I'm no longer around, I'm pretty sure the world's going to stop spinning, right? And nothing's going to get accomplished in our world, except for we all know that that's not true, right? Well, we we all know that that life goes on. And so I'm not trying to depress you this morning, but I am trying to impress on you what a simple and, and sobering truth that this is, that you will be mourned for a while, no matter who you are, but how much you are missed is largely determined by the life that you build. This brings us to the second point that's crucial for us to see today. In order to make a difference, you devote yourself to a vision that will outlive you. Right before Moses died in, verse, in chapter 34, it says this, verses 1 through 4. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishkah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is, the valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to your offspring. And I have let you see it with your eyes. But you shall not Go over there. As Israel camped on the plains of Moab, Moses climbed to the top of Mount Nebo, and from this spot he could see the promised land. And God shows him like the whole thing. This was God giving grace to Moses. Moses couldn't set foot in the promised land, and we'll get to that in a moment, but God did allow him to see it. And Moses stood on what is modern day, uh, the nation of Jordan, and, and he looks towards the promised land. And then God says, I'll give it to your descendants. God swore to give it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And now the promise is going to be fulfilled. And Moses was allowed to take the, his descendants to the threshold of the promised land, but no further. So why was Moses not allowed to enter the promised land? Well, I think it goes back to a failure in in leadership in his life. To be exact, probably a failure in obedience, right? In Numbers uh, 20, Moses is dealing with the complaints of the people of Israel, right? They're extremely unhappy, imagine that, right? Because they had no water, And you remember before, God told Moses, strike the rock with his staff, and water would come out of the rock. And so this time, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And what did Moses do? Well, he disobeys God directly, right? Striking the rock instead of speaking to it. And there's a whole thing about that we don't have time to get into right now. But not only did he strike it, he struck it twice. And and when he struck the rock at the beginning of the Exodus journey, he only had to strike it once. But now, out of anger and frustration, he hits it twice. And a lot of water comes out. And yet, despite Moses' lapse, 
into this sinful attitude and action, God still provides abundantly for the people. A lot of water comes out. And Moses probably walked away thinking that, that it was all good. And probably the people thought it was all good. They got what they were looking for. What Moses did seemed to work. Let me tell you this this morning. Just because it works is not the best measure of what's right before God. And then in verse 12 and number 20, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. So he didn't, really didn't believe God and when the Lord told him to speak to the rock and not to strike it. And when Moses did that unholy thing, he made God look no different than one of the temperamental pagan gods of the day. He did not reflect the heart and the character of God before the people. And God's correction of Moses seems harsh, but it's the judgment that God chose. That he would not lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And so Moses had dreamt and even felt called to deliver God's people. And that calling was not going to happen. Another person would finish the job. Which brings us to another sobering truth. Our failures and mistakes will limit what we can accomplish in life. There's not one of us that can't look back on our life and see where, where we could have done more of this or, or, or done more of that. Or, or maybe done this better. Right? It's the if only. If only I had more faith. If only I'd been more obedient. If only I'd been more committed. If only if I talked to my kids more about spiritual things. If only, if only, if only. Well, it happened to Moses, and he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. It happened to David as well. Right? He wasn't allowed to build the temple because he'd been such a man of war. It happened to these great men, and guess what? It's going to happen to each one of us. Our failure and mistakes will limit us. And there's a sense in which we will always see more than we can hold and more than we can touch. And it is why it's crucial that we devote ourselves to a vision greater than ourselves, to a vision that will outlast us. We see this principle played out in, in modern-day church leadership where ministries get bigger than the founding pastor, right? We, we see it, in, and it's very difficult for churches to survive uh, the loss of, of their leader, right? When, when he's there, the ministry is great. When he's gone, the ministry, not so great. Why? It's because the ministry is based on him, right? And however, Moses' leadership here was not based on him. It is based on the vision that, that God had for his people. So even without his leadership, the people were going to get to where God wanted them to go. They're going to be fine. Right? It wasn't a case of, of if Moses can't enter the promised land, then I guess we're out of luck. Right? Because we can't figure anything out without Moses. No, they, they're fine. They made it to the promised land. And yet that's a lot of how a lot of people organize either their ministry or their life. It's in such a way that, that, that things can't go on without them. At our church, we've had two pastors that went on sabbatical for, for three months each. You know what happened? Nothing. Right? Ministry went on just fine. What I'm driving at is that if you want to make a difference, you need to consider devoting yourself to something that's bigger than you. Something that can outlast you and outlive you. Well, which brings us to the third thing for us to consider in order to make a difference, and that is to invest in building in those who will come after you. 
right, in verses 10 through 12. Uh, and there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all of his servants, to all of his land, for the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Right? Moses is a pretty awesome prophet. Right? He, he's unique. And I think he is unique because of his personal intimacy that he had with God. Right? The term face-to-face there doesn't literally mean physical face-to-face, but it has the idea of, of a free and unhindered communication with God. Right, he just had a remarkably intimate relationship with God. And then it says all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do. Moses was unique in the number and the kind of miraculous works that he's associated with, right? Strike the rock, part the Red Sea, go up and get the tablets, right? It goes on and on. And then all that mighty power and the great terror which Moses performed. Moses was unique in the power and the authority in which he led the nation of Israel. In Moses, we have all wrapped up into one, the great offices of Israel, right? Prophet, ruler, judge, and priest. And I'm sure some of those people who held those offices were great. But Moses, probably the greatest of them all. And so saying all of that, I just wanted to get the sense of how God used Moses so mightily. And yet, we read in verse 9 how Moses passes the torch. He says, or it says, in Joshua, the son of Nun was full of spirit of wisdom. For Moses laid hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses' prayer for Joshua was answered. Joshua was for sure full of, uh, of the spirit of wisdom. And, and, and best of all, the, the children of Israel listened to him. Right? The real test of leadership is to see if people actually follow. You're like, you're not a leader unless somebody's following I really think some of the most important work that Moses did of all the things that he was involved in was to prepare Joshua to take his place. And in the same way, among the most important work that you'll do in your life is the work to, to, to build others up. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2, 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of my witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? That's God's method. We were to pass along leadership. It's like passing the baton. I remember when Jordan used to run, he'd run in relay races. And you know what? The hardest thing for them to do wasn't running the race. The hardest thing was was to get the passing of the baton right. Because when you don't pass the baton right, what happens? It falls to the ground and you lose the race. Right? You're disqualified. We are to pass on our knowledge and skills to others. We are to give them our our blessing as they move forward. This past week, Pastor Matt and I had a chance to have lunch with with Eric, uh, the youth pastor up at Fourth Memorial's Plantner Church. And and it was just an opportunity for for me to pass along some of the things that we've learned about church planting. And it was just fun to, to talk to them, just have them soak up and soak in all of those things. Just just passing the baton. Here's another sobering truth. If you do leadership right, those after you will accomplish more than you will. All right? And guess what? That's a good thing. 
It's only not a good thing if your leadership's all about you and not about what God called you to do. We just had our 20th anniversary in which we were reminded of God's faithfulness over the last 20 years. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is when I'm gone, not for a while, don't get excited, but when I'm gone, the next 20 years are going to be even better. That, that's my prayer. That, that's what I long for. We should celebrate when God uses others to, to carry on the vision that God has called us to do. Moses didn't enter the promised land, but he could celebrate the fact that God's people would enter. That they would experience the land of milk and honey. That, that they would get there in the qualified leadership of Joshua. And we need to devote ourselves and our lives to, to build into others. This is something I think parents need to think through no matter what the age of your children are. Right? It's our job as parents to prepare our children for life. It's our job to help them. And it's through your leadership, it's through your teaching, it's through your example that your kids hopefully will accomplish more than what you accomplish. Ken Griffey Sr., pretty good baseball player, pretty good coach. But his son, Ken Griffey Jr., became one of the greatest baseball players in baseball history. He had a 99.32% vote into the Hall of Fame. Jack Elway, pretty good college football player, pretty good coach. But his son, John Elway, became a legend in the NFL. See, as a parent, as a coach, as a teacher, as a boss, it's our job to help those we lead accomplish more than what we do. And if you want to make a difference, you invest your life into building others up. So, so here's my challenge for you this week. Ask yourself these three questions. Am I living for something bigger than me? Number two, am I inspiring others to keep moving forward? And number three, am I investing my life into other people? And when we answer those questions, it will help you live a life in which you will make a difference. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. Father, that's my prayer this morning, that, that each one of us would invest our lives into somebody else, somebody that we have impact with, that we have contact with, that we have influence with. God, give us the, the courage and the boldness to pass on what you've given to us, whether it be in our faith or, or any other skills that we might have. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.